This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. Hey, everybody. Welcome to EMS 2020. And uh, that, by the way, Spence, is a proper intro. Uh, and... Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold yeah. on. For months now, mm-hmm. it's been EMS 2020. <laughs> and now it's... And now we're just EMS 2020 again? Is- yeah. Well, you know, I just... Basically, what I didn't want to do is... Sometimes things are really good, Spence, right? Yeah. But... You can't overwhelm people with things that are good. And so people mm, were used to my yeah. amazing intros and then you came in and did, um, I don't know what you call it, but you did it. Uh, yeah, and so yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah. go right back like into the goodness. You know what I mean? Oh, gotcha. You yeah. You got to enjoy kind of the bitter. back into yeah. it. Yeah. They got to enjoy it's... the bitterness of the wine before I hit him with a Riesling. <laughs> what, what I'm hearing is that you're like heroin and they've built up a tolerance. And then they had that brief moment of sobriety where like they got yeah. their life together. They came to me mm-hmm. and then you're like, Hey, here I am again, but you can't go back to that dose that they were at. You oh, got to no. work their way back. Exactly. Got, got it. Yeah. No. Okay. No. Got it. It's your sweet, sweet yeah. introduction heroin. Uh, Hey, <laughs> uh, well, everybody, uh, welcome to yet another episode of uh, EMS 2020. Um, this is our first episode that is um, like truly post store launch, like after after it's been a bit uh, of oh, the yeah. merch store. And um, I got to tell you guys, like I we didn't expect that to go as well, like as it, it did. Uh, it's gone great. You guys are loving the merch store. It is an amazing way to support the show. So we've always told you guys like, hey, like reviews on iTunes, that really helps us. Uh, and it does. Or basically yeah, any don't... review you can leave us. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also money helps us uh, because as it turns out, there are a lot of costs associated with doing this and we are going to keep it free for you guys. It will always be that way. Um, so if you guys want to support us and you want some sweet merch, you head on over to our merch store. Uh, it's a uh, T public store. You can check out the link on our Facebook and it's in our Instagram. Uh, if you go to the description, there's a, a link to some other links that involve us. But yeah, click that. Yeah, so you guys have been great. Uh, this, it's really helps the show, like to the point that uh, we got. I got to tell you guys about an email that we got from T Public. So uh, T Public, like they have a lot of different artists on there, and I they're probably not accustomed to people to you know doing as well as as ours has. And so we got an email from them that was very much like, hey, like we're impressed with like what you guys have been selling. Uh, Apparently they went and like Facebook stalked us, but I can't can't really say it's Facebook stalking when it's a public Facebook page. But they checked out our Facebook and they saw like you guys requesting peanut butter spider sandwich uh, (laughs) t-shirt. And by the way, I'm not saying that that design is coming, but I am saying we are looking at making more designs. I just don't want to promise anything right now, but you guys have loved the merch store, so we're into it. We're to try and put some more designs out there based on your guys' suggestions. Um, but uh, they came back and they were like, hey, uh, we'll have our design team work on a peanut butter spider sandwich. And my thought was, I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is like, like, first of all, I love the email. It's great customer service and it's a big <laughs> ego boost. But the other thing too, I'm looking at them like, I like, they're not listeners of the show. At least I don't think they are. Yeah. And I wonder in what context 
they they think peanut butter spider sandwich like what the fuck do these guys talk about in this podcast <laughs> and then what i like more than that is at some point they just said fuck it tell them we'll make a shirt about a peanut butter spider sandwich i don't even care what it is <laughs> for all they know this is the most disgusting like deviant thing in the world that we're talking about and they're just like whatever you want it on a t-shirt i don't care we'll do it tell you what we will sell and manufacture pre-packaged peanut butter spider sandwiches i don't care it's like so anyway uh joking yeah. aside uh t public has actually met i mean aside from the initial crash we are sorry about that it sounds like we got all the pre-crash orders sussed out um aside from the initial crash they've actually been pretty great and, and responsive with us so we we enjoy working with uh with t public and we enjoy the fact that you guys have loved the merchandise so uh speaking of other ways to interact with us, which I wasn't speaking of, but whatever. Uh, follow yeah, us. Nice on, transition. Yeah. Nailed Excellent. it. Yeah. Did you like how I left your terrible start in at the last uh, episode? Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. that was great. Yeah. yeah I loved it. Start. I'm like, yeah, this is funny. I'm going to leave it in. Uh, anyway, so. <laughs> So uh, follow us on social media, please. That's the best way to get announcements on things like merchandise or sneak previews of upcoming episodes, those kind of things. Uh, And every single show gets its own social media post, at least on Facebook, sometimes on Instagram as well, where you guys can drop comments and join the discussion about uh, each episode. So on Facebook, that's EMS 20 slash 20. On Instagram, it's at EMS 2020 show. And if you want your call to be featured on this show, uh, send us an email at EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. With that, let's kind of get right into some of the listener feedback. We'll be quick here. Uh, On our last episode, we had a crew that had to make a tough decision in terms of intubation. And it's kind of one of those episodes that I love because it's truly what's difficult about being a paramedic. I mean, it, it can be hard to follow certain treatment paths, but what's even harder is picking the treatment path, especially when there's two paths with both have good and bad, you know, possibilities. And what we did is we said, hey, On this call, they are five minutes away from the hospital. They have a patient with a rapidly closing airway due to Ludwig's angina. Obviously, everyone knows about that. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding, by the way. Nobody knows about that. At least I didn't. Um, But anyway, and so we asked, like, all right, what would you guys do? Would you guys try and intubate there on scene or would you rush over to the hospital and get it done there? And there were like in the episode, we talked about how there were great arguments for either and downsides to both. So uh, Emma on her Facebook wrote that uh, I think that getting to the hospital ASAP is the best bet. There's a higher level resource there, more hands, more equipment, et cetera. And if you try and fail in the field, you've lost valuable time in the unknown window to get an airway. And then you still have to transport before the patient gets an airway. And I love that response. And I think the big thing that Emma has honed in on very well here is that we are so close to the hospital and that, you know, like if time is of the essence and you're going to that hospital, hospital, you know, this might be the best bet. And and I agree. Like, I think that is a really good course uh, to take. Uh, Now, as I mentioned in the episode, part of this tactic also relies on having a prepared and ready hospital because Mm -hmm. we've been to hospitals where it's like, all right, we're going, we're going, we're going for whatever reason. You know, the the momentum stops at the at the ER door. Uh, But in this case, that's not what happened in this episode. And that's ultimately what the crew chose to do, uh, which was Emma's suggestion. And the patient benefited greatly from it. So I think Emma's spot on uh, in their reasoning. That's perfect. Uh, So uh, John, John, who's been a huge fan of the show for for a while. um, And we really appreciate that. So John writes with the presentation in the house, isolated swelling, I would not have the desire to intubate. 
but would do an innovation assessment to plan for it because the HPI is so bizarre. Um, mm -hmm. With the additional swelling by the time they were in the truck, I would take the airway, which I'm assuming John means that they would intubate at that point. Uh, I would keep it at one attempt. Oh, yeah, there we go. So I would keep it at one attempt due to irritation of an ETT poking around already swollen, irritated tissues. This sounds more difficult due to the posterior swelling compared to angioedema, which you mentioned in the show. With angioedema and the swelling coming anterior, you can nasally intubate and bypass the swelling most the time uh love the seldom seen call for the show very nice uh i i think john has a great answer there too i like john what i really like about john is uh john's answer here is that john is still focusing on like hey getting an airway soon is something we want to do but also really taking into consideration a couple things that we didn't talk about in the show and one of that is an innovation attempt can make swelling worse by yeah, irritating absolutely. that and so i really like john's approach of like hey i would take this i would probably want to take this in the ambulance or, or, you know, before we started going, but I'm going to limit it. And so John is being cognizant of that airway window and cognizant of the issue that Emma had brought up uh, earlier. And so these are both really good responses, really good thoughts, guys. And this is just kind of more evidence that EMS is not black and white. It is not cut and dry. There are more than uh, there's more than one way to trap a mouse or skin a rat. I don't know how that goes, but whatever. There's more than one way to bake a cake. And uh, yeah. that's uh, this is just more evidence of it. Uh, both great answers, guys. Thank you for listening and thank you for commenting on our social media. With that, Spence, uh, who is totally to... a real person, by the way, yeah. I'm a real person. <laughs> I exist. Nobody believes this anymore. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, like it's kind of funny. Like the, the number one comment I got to that is like people just texting, like uh, not texting, but like instant messaging in uh, and just saying things like, yeah, I don't deep buy fake. it. Looks, yeah, he said deep fake was what one person said. That looks looks fake. Don't I'm not buying it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Spencer, do you have uh, you got the show today? Yes. Today I have show. <laughs> All right. So uh, first off, we're going to talk about who provided us the story. So right. today's story comes to us from Adam Stanheit, which is not their name. Perfect. But, uh, does take us back way back to 2004. Yeah. And for those of you that listen for a long time, you guys probably know this, but if you're a new listener, which we used to get a, a ton of recently, um, which is awesome. Uh, we don't ever use anybody's real name on this. So if you yeah. hear a name and it's it's probably an, an actor and that maybe we haven't explained the reference because it was funny to us in 1990s and we're the only people who remember it. <laughs> yeah. And so. I, so, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we don't use yeah. people's real names on this show ever. Yes. Yeah. This is uh no, this is uh this is a reference from a uh a film uh in the two thousand four uh era. Nice. But uh yeah, so Adam Stanheit is today's EMT. Uh they have six months of experience. Uh, and their experience really is that they are a regular volunteer EMT for a very rural service. And basically, they're they're just trying to get some uh experience so that they can apply for a fire job. Uh coming up good so uh their partner or partners anyway for today's call they are partnered with dr lawrence gordon an emr with the fire service that they volunteer for uh additionally david tapp 
uh, is one of the fire officers who will also be on this call. And TAP is an EMT. Let's talk about the system that uh, this crew is working out of. Uh, this is basically an all-volunteer fire department service uh, that does have the ability to do transport. Uh, so what happens in the system is that uh, this service will often like get tapped out for the medical calls in their area, and they will provide initial care uh, until an ALS unit can get there, which is often like 30 plus minutes. Um, and here's the thing. If there is no one available in this service to respond, then the people in this area just have to wait that 30 plus minutes for an ambulance from oh, wow. out of the area. But if there are volunteers who can man the ambulance, um, they technically wouldn't have to wait for an ALS ambulance to show up. Um, they can actually just transport and intercept uh, to the ALS ambulance, depending on staffing. Okay. Um, but additionally, if the patient doesn't appear to need ALS, then they can just do the whole transport to the closest hospital, which is about 40 minutes away. Um, but I will say more often than not, they just transport to the intercept. Um, there's okay. very few times. Uh, Adam says that they've never actually taken a patient all the way in yeah. except for today. Um, and that's the thing. Most of the time, once they you know intercept and hand over care, that's where they're done. But on a rare occasion, they do occasionally ride in with the ALS ambulance. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. Size of this company is very small. Uh, EMT isn't really sure how many volunteers there are total, but they think less than 20 for the whole department. Um, and they provide coverage for their town plus some of the surrounding area. They have one ambulance. Uh, it's stocked with mostly BLS supplies. Uh, they do have a cardiac monitor, uh, which is described as older, but it does have like an AED and a pulse oximeter and, and that sort of thing. Um, but they don't have an auto cuff. Uh, so... Uh, They'll have to go for a manual BP, which would make it wow. really interesting if they got that question mark, question mark, <laughs> question mark over question mark. Like, oh, sorry, man. Triple Q's. <laughs> I just cycle your EMT again. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. Solves that problem. Could you imagine that like actually being on scene and then like the EMT reports back, you know, some blood pressure you don't like and take it again. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want I, uh, here's no, a I'm bad pretty DM. sure I got what I got, Dick. Like it's... <laughs> Here's a bad D&D joke for the uh, triple Q's over triple Q's. Like, uh, no, we're going to roll with advantage. Go ahead and roll again. Get yeah. another number. <laughs> uh, I don't get it, but. Um, yeah, I, you yeah. wouldn't. All right. So uh, <laughs> they run about like zero to one calls per day, typically. Um, but there have been days where like the call volume does get higher. Uh, I think Adam said that they ran like three calls once, um, but he's heard of Ooh. like five and stuff. Yeah, I know. Ooh, big numbers. <laughs> three uh, calls and he's heard of five. And you said these are 24 hour shifts. So I didn't yet, but I will now. Uh, oh, they, shit. So Sorry. Adam works. No worries. Uh, so. First shift length, our EMT essentially like drives there, stays at the station because they're they're coming from out of town um, and they'll do like their shifts at 20, like 24 hours at a time. Um, there are a few other EMTs who do the same. And it sounds like like one of the town's residents happens to be an EMT instructor uh, for in the, like at the closest city. And so it's really what it sounds like is happening is like they are recruiting from their EMT class for experience up at the station to try and provide more coverage. Okay. Um, so it's kind of a unique way to do this. Um, I, I feel like other places probably do the same, so don't feel bad mentioning it here. Um, but uh, it's it, yeah, it's kind of a, a, a clever way to do that. But at this time, there aren't actually like set shift lengths. So okay. Um, anyway, uh, most Just of the most, fall over. Thanks. 
<laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Uh, so it's mostly EMTs and EMRs um, that Adam says, like, they think there's an EMT advanced floating around, but they have never seen them like respond to calls. Probably uh, in training somewhere. Stuff. Yeah. So uh, they are the fire service. Adam says that most of the volunteers they've worked with have been pretty solid. Uh, they've you know learned quite a bit from some of the more experienced volunteers. Um, but Adam notes that there are just several who really just enjoy the fireside and do everything they can to avoid the medical side, if at all possible, uh, which does occasionally make for like a difficult dynamic, mm-hmm. um, you know, depending on availability. So let's go into the call. Bong bong. I, I, we need some kind of transition here. I, that's, <laughs> that's what I want. I want, I want something just, you want, did you <clears> see <throat> the bong dong from law and order? M- no, I definitely did not uh, infringe upon NBC's copyright. <laughs> Chris, on a recorded uh, line, you geez. monster. No, you'll clearly notice that I am tone deaf. And uh, so like that, it just, it was, it would sound like a bong bong without okay. any kind of like, <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll so think Adam's, of something. <laughs> Adam's eyes pop open and adjust to the darkness. So many questions. Where was he? What time was it? And why is his ankle chained? And why is there a hacksaw lying next to him? Wait, is that a body? And is this 2004? Oh, and that, my friends, is the dream sequence I would have opened the show with had this call uh, dropped in the middle of the night. But it didn't. This call was actually dispatched around like 940 in the morning. So Adam and not a Dr. Lawrence Gordon, EMR, are driving code three through their town towards a private residence for a report of a 50 year old female who has significant bleeding. Uh, The dispatch center reports that they are working on getting an ALS ambulance en route as well. So from dispatch to arrival is about 10 minutes as not a Dr. Lawrence Gordon EMR <laughs> was already at the station when the call uh, came in and the call is basically like the, the location is just outside their town area. So the crew arrived to what is described as just a really cluttered kind of home. Uh, and we've all seen it like that front lawn is actually more of like a storage unit for unused items nice. that aren't garbage. And we know it's not garbage because that's what like the backyard is used to store. <laughs> so if they're all up front, then they're, oh, that is <laughs> ergo, a bad, not garbage. That, that is kind of like a bad sign. Like when the only way you can tell that something isn't garbage is the fact that there's something even more garbagey in, in like another place congregated in the home. We're like, Oh, clearly never mind. Uh, that, that was the fine silverware over there. This is uh <laughs> <laughs> the bullshit that needs to be thrown out is back here dude i was waiting for you to ask me about cans like all right where do they store their cans i'm like that shit would be locked in the garage like tight because that's gold that's yeah <laughs> yeah it's probably true all right so adam gordon and david tap uh david by the way arrived in their fire suv because they are the fire officer emt hmm. if you'll remember uh they approach the scene with their go kit and an oxygen kit and uh walk into a decently cluttered and poorly lit home uh, they hear the patient call out to them from the dining room, which is down a hallway. So uh, the crew head that way. And I just want to point out, like, the interior of this place is really a mess and, like, bad lighting. And, it, it, like, and we're not talking, like, hoarder levels of mess. But okay. we're, like, it's like, oh, boy, there is a trail that you have to just, you know, like, one <laughs> one person only. But it's... It's an obstacle course of of stuff and gotcha. things. This um, is more like getting a cotter stretcher in here would be a pain in the ass level of mess. 
Yes. But it's not like I, a dangerous level of mess. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, there's there's no spiders. The place doesn't need to be lit on fire. Gotcha. Uh, so, boom. All right. So, anyway, the patient is found uh, wearing a bathrobe and sitting on a chair sort of like pushed away from her dining room table and leaning over in what Adam felt was like a really kind of unusual and like uncomfortable way. Um, Adam notes that the patient's doing this because she's holding a sopping red towel to her right calf, like hmm. lateral kind of posterior calf. Um, there appears to be a small pool of blood just under the towel and, uh, and the patient, by the way, is about like five foot five, 220 pounds or 100 kilograms. Nice. Um, and Adam's doorway impression of the patient, like outside of the blood and like the positioning um, and like and outside of like what's described as like an, kind of an unkempt, like maybe slightly unhealthy appearance. But like they don't look acutely sick, like they're not pale. They're not diaphoretic. They, they don't appear significantly distressed, etc. Really, really quick. Um, yeah. The reason I said nice, the hundred kilograms, this is definitely like like so when you become a paramedic, like there's a couple things that you appreciate that no one else does. One of them is the amazing veins of people that walk by you. You'll be like, oh, God, look at the oh, veins. Yeah. Mm. And then the other thing is people with like easy math weights, like 100 kilograms. Oh, and so I saw I'm, I'm like, sweet. If I have to do yeah. any kind of drug calculation, it's going to be so easy. So I heard 100 kilograms. I was like, sweet. It's awesome. So anyway, right. moving on. No, yeah. That, it's, yeah. It's not not commenting on like the patient, just like really for us, it's the ease of med math. Yeah, That's exactly. like, oh, thank God. An even number. Perfect. <laughs> Woot. All right. Um, so the patient does greet the crew and she tells them her name and tells them that she's bleeding badly and can't seem to get it to stop. Uh, David Tapp and Adam, like both ask in unison, like, how did this happen? Um, so the patient, Mrs. Jigsaw, says, oh, Jesus. I don't know, but my leg is spraying blood. All right. So Mrs. Jigsaw says that she had recently gotten out of the shower and she thinks she might have hit her leg on like the metal trim around the perimeter of the shower. Uh, it's one of those stand up showers. Okay. Um, so she, I, I guess I'll. Just, yeah, I was going to okay. say like, so she, like, like all showers. Well, no, you know what? Fuck that. I could take a bath shower. I could well, lay down in my tub. Well, and there, take a shower. there are sit down showers, but I feel like that's the thing you denote. Like, you don't denote, by the way, showers normal and then move on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, what I meant is like, this is a stand up only shower. There is no tub feature. So, that's, okay, gotcha, that's, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> all right. Gonna go out there and. So, here's the thing she didn't realize she was bleeding until like she'd gotten out and she was toweling off. And then she saw blood splattering on her mirror. Um, and that's when she like looked down and saw the wound on her lower leg, which was spraying blood. Is this one of those reflecting mirrors or is this like the non reflecting? <laughs> Sorry. It's a one way mirror. So, oh, we're but just it's facing the wrong direction so that she can actually like see herself in it. So there it is. There you go. <clears throat> yep. So, <laughs> so she says she tried to put pressure on it for several minutes, like using the bath towel, um, but it just continued to bleed when she removed it. Uh, so she threw on her bathrobe, called 911 because she does take blood thinners and she was worried that she wouldn't be able to stop the bleeding. All right. So now here's the thing. Adam felt that this was a really strange story that didn't make a lot of sense to him because the bleeding was described as spraying. And so they can only imagine that this would be like an arterial bleed, um, which, you know, was what they were taught in school. Hey, if it's spraying blood, that's arteries. You know, I remember okay. learning the same thing. Yeah. Um, 
And they felt that like a wound deep enough to involve arteries should like generate like they should know that they got cut badly. Right. Um, This wouldn't be like, a oh, look, a cut. Yeah. And I'm going to qualify that and say, like, "Mm, maybe. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, depending on medical history. Exactly, especially when we're talking about lower extremities. There's a lot of people with neuropathy and different things that can decrease sensation down there uh, to to, to a a surprising level. Yeah, but that piece aside, um, as they're getting this story, Tap jumps in, grabs a set of uh, initial vitals using the uh, little portable SpO2 finger probe and (gasps) gasp that manual blood pressure cuff. My goodness. And I'll give those readings here. So the heart rate is 103 in a regular, and they said they got that off the pulse oximeter reading. Uh, nobody actually did palpate a pulse on okay. it. Um, at least not at this moment. Uh, SpO2, 93% on room air. Her blood pressure is 158 over 100, and respirations were, uh, they were counted and are reported as 24 a minute. Okay, so a little bit elevated on the respirations there. Yeah. So Adam transitions here uh, while Tap's getting these vitals, and they've kind of gotten this story, uh, and asks the patient about like her medical history, meds, and allergies, and uh, there's a lot of them. Um, so uh, Adam says that uh, di- diabetes type 2, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, peripheral artery disease, chronic uh, or congestive heart failure, stage 3 uh, chronic kidney disease, asthma, neuropathy, ding ding, uh, depression, uh, and they did that. There, there was more that they just really can't recall. There was a there was a long like one of those like long uh, lists like, hey, these are the list of your medical problems um, nice. from your last visit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, I didn't ask him if the patient had actually been like seen recently. Ah, oh, well. all right. Well, the patient does take on medications. She takes Xeralto, lisinopril, insulin, albuterol, tramadol, and more. But uh, again, I'm just going to kind of highlight the Xeralto because that's the big one that seems to be impacting the call here. That is a um, uh, that is a blood thinner, by the way. That is a blood thinner. All right, so. Uh, The patient is allergic to several antibiotics, iodine, morphine, adhesives, some antidepressants, uh, but really nothing this crew is going to give aside from like potentially trying to put adhesive tape on the patient. Um, So uh, don't do that. Um, Well, and so while Adam is writing this information down for like for their handoff sheet, uh, tap after getting the vitals, decides to go check the bathroom and comes back telling like, hey, you need to go look at that. Um, so Adam departs, uh, and heads to the bathroom and describes the bathroom as such. Uh, it looked like someone sprayed blood all over the fucking place. <laughs> there, there were like small pools kind of in the, on the floor, like here and there. Uh, again, and most of it was like on the floors and the lower cabinets, but some like did reach the mirror above the sink. And they say that they like could see the spray kind of traveling out the door and towards like a room presumed to be the patient's bedroom. Um, they said like, he said that they did look in the shower area looking for like some kind of long jagged piece of metal uh but they didn't find anything that really would explain the um like w- which would cause a rupture like look like it would be some sharp piece that they would hit themselves with so um Adam goes back uh, to the patient and asks them like, hey, so how long has this been bleeding for and the patient says that it's probably been at least 15 minutes now and so Adam asks like, well, has it stopped now and so the Patient removes the towel to check, and everyone cringes as blood shoots out of her leg. <laughs> oh no! Was uh, blood bright red? Ooh, so Adam isn't really sure about this piece because uh, the house was really poorly lit. So it's just you know blood shooting out. Um, hmm. Yeah, uh, it was spurting. 
Mm, no, no, it was not. It was described as a uh, more of a continuous spray. Hmm. I have an idea. I, I, I think I got this one, but oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, coming in early. All right. Yeah, um, no, I, yeah. I, I think I, I think I know there, there's some clues here where I'm not going to say it in case I don't know. Uh, so I can then like change my answer <laughs> later on. Um, I like but, it. Yeah. Uh, but for now, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of confident. We'll see. <laughs> but after last week's right. episode where I had no fucking idea what was going on. <laughs> you know, what's nice is when I write these, I always know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you're always the expert. <laughs> All right. So Adam admits. Yeah. But when I'm not, I don't check a CBG. So yeah, that's very true. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so sure, Adam admits. <laughs> oh, fuck. Adam admits that they were really startled uh, by like the blood s- spraying out to the point where they actually just sort of froze. Um, and were like, oh, Oh, shit. Um, but Tap jumped in uh, to action here and like grabbed the towel that the patient was using and just kind of uh, tried to apply it back to the patient's leg. Um, but like this towel was really saturated. Um, they tell Adam and not actually a doctor. They just stayed in the Holiday Inn, Lawrence Gordon, uh, to go get the bandaging out in a fairly like terse manner. Um, Adam gets to the bag first and rips open the kit, grabbing just a bunch of like four by fours and like running them over to Tap. Which I guess Tap kind of gave him like, dude. Uh, so they go back. They grab <laughs> larger trauma pads. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is you know uh, trauma pads. By Pulls the way, essentially just like, hands it to him. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they go back and grab some larger trauma pads. Essentially, like a, just a large bandage for people who don't know what those are. Um, and then they like run back once more. Uh, to tap and then he's like hey I need something to like tie this with so they have to go back again grab cling wrap anyway uh, so tap places the two trauma pads on the patient's leg and tries to like really tightly secure it with this cling wrap and it cling wrap by the way is it's it's like soft bandaging material um, it's kind of stretchy but it doesn't like tighten I don't know um, it's not like Coban it's not like Coban yeah. where it constricts a little bit uh, cling wrap I mean it's essentially like it's the gauze you see that like people wrap a bandage with perfect yeah exactly um so they tie the cling wrap like onto itself and secure it for a moment or two and this seemed to work um <laughs> lawrence of arabia gordon saw an opportunity here to go and like fetch their cot and uh, try and bring it in but it sounds like they really can't with some of the clutter um that <laughs> we had brought up earlier um and I'll say, like, for their part, it sounds like they did try and move, like, some of it while the patient care shenanigans with the bandaging were, like, taking place. But eventually, they just, they'll just give up and return to their team and let them know, like, they man- hey, I managed to get the stretcher a few feet inside the door. Um, so that's where it is. But that hasn't happened yet. We'll get to that in a moment. So let's go back to what's happening. Um, so while the good doctor's out uh, doing that stuff, Adam notes that the patient has, like, patient's blood is soaked through the bandaging that both he and Tap are, have put on there, and both of them are worried. Yeah. Um, Tap did ask dispatch, like, hey, how far out is our ALS unit? And they were told, like, hey, you guys, like, that's about a 30-minute ETA for them to get there. Um to the scene so tap and adam kind of discuss like who what should we do and they decide that this is a call like this is a case where placing a tourniquet on the patient might be a good idea given that the bleeding isn't stopping um i'm going to add that neither provider has ever placed one um and also neither of them know that uh and i bring that up because uh 
just a comical moment coming up. Um, they are using a combat tourniquet, by the way, um, which is a pretty common tourniquet device. Um, so Adam describes this brief, but you know, comical to me uh, moment where like both of them kind of like, all right, go ahead. Uh, you put it on. And the other guy's like, oh, no, you go ahead. You can put it on. And then tap eventually just goes like, all right, I'll, I'll put it on. And so they, they're trying to figure out like they, they get it around the leg and they're try, trying to figure out how to tighten it. And so they get it around the, the upper part of the patient's calf, just kind of, uh, you know, distal to the knee. And they start tightening, like fiddling around, trying to tighten it. And, um, and they do get it tightened. But as they are tightening it, the patient begins loudly complaining that it's hurting her immensely and asks them to stop. Mm-hmm. And Adam is initially worried that like, oh, God, is this like, have we tightened it too much and ask Tap to loosen it? Um, and then Tap kind of reminds Adam like, hey, the whole point of the tourniquet, you know, like is to stop blood flow. Um, so if we loosen it, like we're not doing that. Right. Um, and and Tap does tell the patient like, hey, this is really going to hurt, but we need to stop the bleeding. Um, by the way, the bandaging that is now soaked through also has like kind of migrated down the patient's leg. Um, and I, I point out like she has very large legs um, with like a conical shape to them. Oh um, yeah. So it's just, you know, like it, it's very hard to secure that stuff to that. Cause it just, you know, it'll slide down. Yeah. Um, so uh, tap tries to apply like more bandaging um, and like trying to resecure, like tries to resecure it. Uh, same kind of process, but like Adam doesn't think this has really helped. Um, they tr- do try to tighten the tourniquet more, but the patient screams at them to stop. So they do. Um, Doctor of EMR Lawrence arrives at this point and advises the crew like, hey, I can't get the stretcher in past the door. <sighs> So here's where they're at. Adam, Adam isn't sure if the bleeding is stopped or if it can be stopped. Uh, they don't want to wait here for 30 minutes for an ALS ambulance because this is an uncontrolled arterial bleed. Um, and the patient needs to get to the hospital. So given uh, that their ALS intercept is out, you know, quite a ways before they can even start transporting, uh, is there like an air ambulance service available? Uh, that's an excellent idea. Um, I believe in this case, it wasn't an available option okay. to them. So here's what they do. Uh, they ultimately decide to walk the patient with help, like down the hallway to the cot by the front door. Um, and then they load her into the ambulance. Uh, in the ambulance, they get another set of vitals. Uh, her bl- heart rate's now 130 and irregular uh, via the pulse oximeter. The blood pressure is 146 over 104. The patient's SpO2 is 90% on room air, and the respirations are described as 30 a minute. And the patient, by the way, super unhappy. Mm -hmm. Uh, The patient's reporting 10 out of 10 pain in her leg, which they say is basically due to the tourniquet. Um, (laughs) Lawrence hops up front to drive. Uh, Tap can't ride in as they're the officer on duty in their area. So Adam departs just kind of working solo in the back with the patient. Nice. Um, Adam says that the patient kept shifting their leg, which kept pulling on the bandaging and blood is noted to be present, like under the patient's leg on the sheet of their stretcher. Um, and Addison, like Adam says, like, I wasn't sure if this was like from the bandages that were soaked or like if the patient was continuing to bleed. So they decided to like take a peek, pull off the bandage and blood sprayed on the interior wall of the ambulance. So they immediately like close it and just get more bandaging supplies out and add more to it, trying to put more pressure on the wound. Uh, again, Adam's, Adam isn't sure how else to fix this problem and is really feeling like the stress of this situation. 
Uh, Miss Jigsaw, by the way, super irritable with oh, Adam. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she is, re- she, yeah, she is yelling at him to take the thing off her leg. It hurts. Uh, plus, she you know peppered in a few personal attacks. Damn. Um, yeah. So really quick. Now, I, I, I just wanted to say one thing. It may kind of seem like this patient's being a bit unreasonable here. Um, I just I do want to highlight one thing, and that is this. I've had patients. The one that comes to mind is I had a guy with a, a severe pelvic fracture after he fell out of a tree. Uh, oh, yeah. And we went to put a pelvic binder on him. And, and here's the thing. We all like to believe like, hey, this is going to save your life. I, you know, I deal with the pain. I, I'd understand. Ah, different story when you're in severe pain. And here's a fun fact. Uh, pelvic fractures hurt like fuck. Um, so we put a pelvic binder on the guy, which hurt. And he's like, get it off. And we're like, dude, no, like, we really can't take this thing off. It's like, no, get it off. Uh, now, sometimes pelvic binders will relieve pain and not for this dude. Um, and so what ends up happening is in transport, he sits up. Oh, he doesn't sit up because he's backboarded, but he reaches down, grabs the pelvic binder and then pushes it down now. And he actually he's actually able to move it a bit, not much because it's tight as hell, but he was able to actually move it a bit. And so all I'm trying to say is uh, the patient like. A lot of patients are going to end up like this, where like you'll tell them like, hey, this is going to hurt. And then you give it to them. And then suddenly they they seem unreasonable. Pain does weird things to us. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, for sure. Yeah. So sometimes we can tend to get overwhelmed with emotion and want to respond. Just don't take it personally. Just remember, they're in a terrible mind space right now. Uh, and they're going to say things that they otherwise wouldn't say. Yeah. Uh, and Adam says that he responded, you know, feeling the stress himself, responded sharply and told, you know, told the patient there was no way in hell they were going to take off the tourniquet because she would fucking die. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and I, like, like you said, like, I get why this happened. And I'll admit, like, I've been this responder, you know, like it, they're under stress. You know, uh, it's it's a tense moment for the provider because, you know, like here's the thing like once you in school your training on this is essentially like all right uh, oh the bleeding continues all right uh well yeah we'll put a tourniquet on it and yeah. then they're like cool all right you did the right thing you pass and then you leave and you don't learn like oh yeah now the patient wants you to fucking take it off because it hurts like a motherfucker yeah um you know and like you now you have to like coach your patient through that um, yeah, yeah. and deal with that like there's none of that and you know so there's that sort of unexpected bit plus the patient yelling you and degrading you. Yeah. Like I get why they responded curtly. Like I appreciate why the patient did and I get why um, Adam responded the way they did. But like that being said, the response totally sucks here and it doesn't help. And you know, it doesn't. I mean, like, yeah, but both positions here are, are understandable. The patient's screaming for a good reason. Uh, Adam getting riled up for a good reason. But just remember, like, we're the, we're the professionals. My, my advice is don't take it personally, exactly. you know. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, Adam's, like I said, Adam's response, not helpful. The patient continued to squirm with the pain and then yells at Adam that he's only made the problem worse and demands that he give her pain medication, which, again, like, Adam is an EMT. They don't have that within their scope of practice. So that's Shoot. not something that he can do. Um, Adam says that they like tried to explain this to the patient, um, but they weren't able to. Uh, the patient didn't seem to want to like hear that and then accuse them of like punishing her. Um, oh, so, goodness. Which, mm, you know, like that. Here's the thing. Uh, in this case, it's not. But like the fact that like this patient sort of believes that makes me wonder like how many times that person has experienced something like that in the past. Do you know what right, I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Yeah. That, 
Yeah, you're you're punishing me. That that's a pretty specific. Anyway. Yeah. So they transport for 15 minutes to the intercept area where large corporate ambulance company USA Ambulance was waiting. Um, Adam didn't get more vitals as they were holding pressure on the leg. Um, yeah, you know, understand. Uh, they did say that the patient remained alert and very mean. Uh, <laughs> and then the patient was unloaded from the ambulance and moved to the other ambulances. Adam gave report to paramedic Amanda Young. Uh, the report being uncontrolled arterial bleed and on Zeralto tourniquet placed help. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, honestly, yeah. that, that that's a that's a fair enough report. Yeah. You know, you can get in and be like, hey, what's the blood pressure? I don't know. I can't take one because my hand is here. But anyway. <laughs> yeah um and so i will say like it, this this sucks i get why like he wasn't able to get more vitals or like you know do another like blood pressure he's holding pressure on this leg which he needs to do if it's still bleeding um but like just because somebody's alert at like mean also could be like they could be getting mean because they're getting like you know uh, hypovolemic and like, sure. hypoxic and the agitation and that, that so, sets like, in with that yeah exactly so and that could be like that also could play into like why the patient's becoming more agitated but anyway um so here, real quick, we've got a busy moment coming up, so I'm just going to give you the kind of the quick highlights. Uh, Paramedic Young tells Adam, hey, you're going to ride in with me and hold pressure on that leg. Um, Young's partner, unnamed extra, uh, gets the patient on the cardiac monitor, gets vitals, uh, like a new set of vitals. Um, Paramedic Young checks a pulse in the right foot and announces, hey, there is one. And so those vitals, by the way, are heart rate 130 with AFib on the monitor. Uh, blood pressure is 130 systolic. Uh, Adam says they they didn't actually chart any of this because, like, they turned over care. So he just got to kind of write in for the rest of it. Um, so uh, SpO2 is 90% on room air. And the patient is now placed on four liters of oxygen by the unnamed extra. Uh, respirations are like 30 a minute. And the patient is noted to be mildly diaphoretic. Um, and so transport is started to the trauma hospital, uh, which is about a 20 minute drive as opposed to like the 10 to the closer hospital. Uh, and they do go lights and sirens. So the patient is still really irritable. Uh, Young told the patient that, hey, we're going to add a second tourniquet, oh, uh, which also <laughs> happened to be a combat tourniquet onto the leg just below the other one. But they also added that they were going to work on an IV and get the patient pain medication and some fluids. Um, while the patient was furious about the tourniquet, they calmed slightly when they were told they were going to get pain medication um, and also allegedly responded, good luck, honey, uh, about the IV. Damn. Yeah. So uh, they do add another tourniquet and Adam says that they were told to check for a pulse, but didn't feel a pedal pulse. Uh, and they admitted in the interview that they'd never actually checked a pedal pulse before. So they just like felt around the area that they thought Young had palpated and uh, reported that they didn't feel any um, a side note here. Just ask. If you're not sure, just ask rather than like, because this this is a situation in which it, it really does matter. Um, yeah. And yeah, swallow pride. I, I was actually going to kind of point that out uh, to and maybe we'll um, maybe we'll touch on this uh, in a bit. But even when it came like to putting on the tourniquets and both people were kind of trying not to admit that they didn't know or hadn't done this before. And we're just kind of hoping that the other person would take over. Um Anyway, mm, yeah, yeah, well, no, good point. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, it does take a few pokes, but Young does get an IV that Adam believes was like a 20 gauge and the patient is started on fluid, uh, presumably saline or <laughs> lactate ringers uh, or ringers lactate. However, it's however it's LR. That's what I'm calling it. Um, okay. And it's, and the patient is given fentanyl in some amount. Uh, 
The patient does continue to shift her leg with the tourniquets on there, but that activity lessens with uh, additional fentanyl doses. Um, Young asks both Adam and the patient, like, all right, so give me more of the story. Uh, and I guess they initially sounded skeptical, uh, skeptical about how this could be an arterial bleed. But Adam was like, listen, I saw it spraying on scene and the patient agrees that it was spraying. Um, so a trauma report is given to the trauma hospital, alerting them of an incoming arterial bleed. Uh, the transport is mostly uneventful. Uh, the patient continued to get some fentanyl. Their blood pressure did decrease into the 120s, but their heart rate also dropped from like 130 to about 110 with the pain medication and some fluid on board and they received about like 500 mils of fluid total okay um so they get to the trauma room and turn over care and as they move the patient over the mattress of, of the stretcher under the legs and buttocks areas like just heavily soiled with blood oh um, and the er doctor notes that there is a faint distal pulse in the right lower leg um and then they decided that they are going to inspect the wound itself. So uh, what do you think they said, Chris? God, I was going to hope you were going to say what it was so I could change my answer and be like, yep, that's what I thought. Um, but you know what? I'm still pretty confident. Um, I think this is actually uh, so, so here's I'm going to explain my reasoning first. OK, uh, you emphasize Zarelto, a blood thinner. Okay, so the reason we like to talk about blood thinners is that that can cause an abnormal level of bleeding where we wouldn't typically see it, i.e. like a vein. Mm -hmm. One of the things that people can have, especially people with neuropathy, um, well, not even necessarily neuropathy, but, you know, I, I'm just going to get I'm going to go out on a limb that, right. that this patient does not move around a ton. Yeah, I would say that's probably a fair assumption. Yeah. And so uh, if my understanding of varicose veins is correct, uh, among many factors, lack of mobility can actually cause uh, varicose veins to occur. And my guess is that this is actually a ruptured varicose veins because these things can bleed like stink uh, and you add blood thinners to the mix and there's nothing stopping it. Uh, it's it's going to come right out of that, too, because even though veins don't carry the same pressure as arteries do, they are driven by pressures from both arteries. And then um, and then you know, there's some pressure generated in the veins as well with surrounding skeletal muscle. So you can actually get a spurting effect uh, from varicose veins. That is my final answer. Lock in. All right. So, uh, yeah, this was a ruptured varicose vein. Fuck um, yeah. So, God, Adam, uh, Adam did say he was <laughs> demigod. Come on. Mm -hmm. Knock it down. Knock it down a bit. <laughs> what can I say? You're, except you're basically you're like the Hercules of of uh, EMS. You're not right. like Zeus level, but, you know. Eh, All right. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I'll yeah. take it. Hercules of EMS is not a terrible title. Who who has the who, which which character had the the fucking Pegasus thing the the flying that that's the guy I'll be oh I'll be that I'll take that spot I have no idea. Helios per, I don't know per, Perseus Perseus yeah it's Perseus the only nah. reason I'm saying it's Perseus is because Perseus and Pegasus sound alike and that's the extent of my Greek mythology knowledge but uh, mm. there you go yeah all right mm. all right well, Hercules Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. So, yeah, here's the thing. Uh, Adam doesn't know what happened at the hospital, but they did hear eventually that the patient made it home at some point. So, like, yay. And good. that brings us to the end of the call. Yeah. I don't know if going back to that home is a yay moment, but sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this call, BLS Ambulance. 
dispatched to a private residence with a 50-year-old female reporting uh, bleeding. Uh, the patient has a significant medical history, including taking blood thinners. I'm pretty sure that her medical history list is just someone printed off all of WebMD. Uh, they have a wound <laughs> on their leg that is uh, like legit spraying blood. Uh, the crew, uh, they try pressure, they try bandaging, they ultimately place a tourniquet without any luck. Uh, they transport the patient to uh, intercept with a paramedic unit uh, while getting basically just dressed down by this patient for being terrible humans by trying to stop the bleeding. Uh, the patient gets a second tourniquet, uh, but they also get an IV and some pain uh, medication, which seems to ease the blow of having to get yet another tourniquet. Uh, they arrive to the emergency room and they find that despite two tourniquets being placed, there is still a faint pedal pulse. Uh, the patient ended up having uh, a ruptured varicose veins, uh, veins, vein. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I got kind of some thoughts, some overall final thoughts before we get into uh, the main lessons here. Yeah, so I'd love to hear them. Yeah, so when we're talking about, and maybe we're going to talk about this, but so tourniquet placement when you suspect an arterial bleed. Now, this call didn't end up being an arterial bleed, but if I'm correct, Spencer, I believe the literature is actually pushing for tourniquets a little bit more earlier than it used to. So just kind of yeah. something to keep in mind is it used to be when tourniquets first came back. So first of all, there's a period of time where tourniquets were taboo. You did not place tourniquets. Now, that is like 15 years old uh but there was a time where they didn't want to place tourniquets because they were concerned about the damage it could cause to an extremity um and then they said all right tourniquets are coming back but like last ditch effort and now mm -hmm. tourniquets are pretty much like oh hey first dressing didn't work yeah put it on uh, that's what a lot of the literature has kind of moved uh to because they found out that the damage that we thought uh, severe arterial bleed would be causing to an extremity uh, isn't as much or at least pales in comparison to the consequences of allowing the uh, arterial bleed to continue. So anyway, so there may be some criticism that like, hey, if you're going to consider a tourniquet, the crew might have been able to do it earlier. Uh, it kind of sounded like they're like, all right, uh, let's try bandaging. Let's try pressure. Let's try this. All right. Finally, I guess we'll place the tourniquet, um, which that kind of leads me to my next point. Honesty in what you know. So I'm not I'm not trying to say the cruise is honest. I'm just going to acknowledge that there's a lot of pressure in EMS to know your shit when you get on scene. Uh, and the, but the fact is this, like, Spence, when was the last tourniquet you placed? Um. Oh, God, like a year ago or so. Yeah, I can tell you I placed one, but I don't remember when the last time was. So we just don't place them that often. I mean, it's not like starting an IV or putting out blood pressure cuff or listening to lung sounds, things that you do all the time. Uh, it's a rare thing. So, you know, it, it's okay if you don't know. So kind of a way to approach this is I would just straight up say, if I was in that position, I would look at my partner and be like, hey, uh, I have not placed a lot of these. Can you help me out in getting this? And that kind of gives them an opportunity to be honest too. And they can be like, yeah, we're gonna have to figure this one out together. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it gives some honesty there. You do need to be careful in the presence of patients because what you you don't want the patient to look yeah. down and see like both of you being like you fucking use this thing. Um, Wait, hold on. Neither of you knows what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. like there's there. I, I exactly. can totally I could totally see that situation where it's like hey, I don't want to admit I don't know what the fuck I'm doing in front of this patient. Right. Um, but right. There, like you say, there's a way to split that uh, to thread that needle um, mm. to where you can to to where you can sort of say like, hey, I need help to your partners. And then both of you can figure out how to solve the problem together without really making it sound like, hey, I 
I don't know why I came here today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and one way you might just be able to simply do if you're worried about the patient is just simply be like, hey, I'm going to put this on, man. I need your help getting it on. And just go oh, yeah. from there. And then and then that way the patient's like, okay, this is clearly a two-person job. You know, like that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, what here's what's worse, though, is, be, is not being upfront that you don't know how to do something and putting it on wrong to the point that it doesn't work. That that's yeah. worse because then you have a patient yeah. that's going to be angry at you and then they're going to know you didn't know what you were doing and have reason to sue you later when you did it wrong. So absolutely. Yeah. And and upcoming here, we're going to talk about tourniquets because like this is I think there's a misconception that I put a tourniquet on and it does like that is it. And mm-hmm. we'll, we'll go into that because that is uh, a myth as it turns out. Oh, yeah. So, uh, hey, boss. And then one other thing I just kind of want to touch base with you on uh, base uh, base with you on. It's Mike Tyson. Uh, but anyway, um, the, I've noticed that her SAO2 kept dropping and her respiratory rate kept raising up. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just kind of off the top, like, I'm just kind of I'm curious. I mean, she does have a congestive heart failure uh, and asthma, I believe, was in her history. Correct. Yep. yep. Yeah. And so she did have two like breathing things. Um I do like that they ended up placing the patient on four liters. Was it four liters or two liters? I don't remember. Yeah, they put her on four liters on in four the liters. Uh, ambulance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious what the SAO2 came up after that. I know they didn't get a chance to like check vitals again, but it's just kind of a curious finding of like this falling SAO2 and this rising respiratory rate. Because if it was just a respiratory rate, I'd be like, oh yeah, like this is, this absolutely is probably due to pain. That will cause respiratory rate to oh. increase. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. I should have included that in there. Her her SpO2 did increase to like 96% or okay. uh, 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 during the transport. Uh, I just I focused on the heart rate and the blood pressure coming down, but like the other yeah. vitals like did improve as well. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, no, I don't think we, I don't think we have enough information on uh, in this episode to really dive into like why the Sats uh, would have dropped down to 90%. But it was a curious finding. Um, yeah. just to to have them to have them seem to drop like while they're assessing this patient. That's kind of an odd thing, but. Um, Anyway, shit, let's move on to the big, uh, let's move on to the big ticket items. Yeah, I, I, like you, I think, overall, I think, like, the crew did a, they did a, they did a pretty good job, all things considered. I think there's definitely some finessing and, like, some, and there are some critical pieces that I think they overlooked or, or missed that I, that we're definitely going to touch on, but really let's, uh, we need to talk about like the varicose vein ruptures and like what the oh, fuck yeah. is going on with that. And then we'll talk about tourniquets and then we could just kind of dive into, uh, figuring out what spots went well and what spots didn't. So let's start with tourniquets. Uh, cause why not? <clears throat> yeah. Cause that's the order I wrote this in. Uh, so what are tourniquets? Uh, tourniquets are essentially like rapid deployed bands. Um, that can be placed on any extremity and cinch, like cinch down tightly, uh, which hopefully will stop an uncontrolled bleed, which yeah. is putting the patient or like their limb at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and while there are situations in which like a tourniquet might be the first go to um, more often than not. A tourniquet should usually be applied like after other methods like direct pressure or pressure banding bandaging have like failed to control the bleed. Now, it doesn't mean like take, you know, 30 minutes to try and right. do that. But yeah, it's like, not a last hey, resort. But yeah, yeah, but like you're you're quickly escalating to try and stop the bleeding. And then you're going like, you know what? Fuck this. Drop the bomb. Yeah. Boom. Give, me, give me the tourniquet. So, yep. Uh, so. Here's how they work. And there's multiple types and styles, but like as the combat tourniquet was featured in this call, and it's a really common one where 
we're going to basically cover that. Like, so if you're not under enemy fire or in like some disaster <laughs> situation, what you want to do ideally is you want to expose the patient's skin on the limb that you would want to tourniquet. And then you would like find the wound and you would place the tourniquet about like two to three inches above it. Uh, but being careful, like don't tourniquet a joint. Um, yeah, you yeah, want to like get it right on that, you know, the non-joint portion of their limb. <laughs> so then you're going to like strap it down with the uh, like the Velcro strap. And then there's like a metal stem on the outside. And you are going to t twist that until the bleeding stops and there is no distal pulse. Then you're going to secure that uh, little metal stem thing um, and hopefully like mark a time on the tourniquet. Um, and by the way, it's really not uncommon to need more than one tourniquet right. um, per, per our ground protocols. Uh, one tourniquet stops the flow of like a femoral artery about 70% of the time. Um, and eight, two of them are about 80% of the time. So there is still a significant portion of uh, patients who will continue to bleed despite two tourniquets. Yeah, and one um, of the things you got to keep in mind is that when you're placing this tourniquet on, if you, especially if you have a larger leg, the idea is that you're putting pressure on an artery. Okay. Yeah. And arteries are pressurized, you know, they're little garden hoses down there. And so the more tissue you have between the artery and your tourniquet, the more that tissue is going to want to kind of diffuse that pressure outward instead of keeping it focused in one spot, which is kind of what's required of clamping off uh, an artery. So yeah, different patients are, are going to respond to these differently and, and larger extremities are going to be harder uh, to tourniquet. And another thing I will say, having put on tourniquets, um, it, you have to turn these things hard. I mean, it's yep. not, it's actually not an easy task. Um, yeah, it requires some strength. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it requires some strength. And uh, yeah, so anyway, that's, uh, yeah, tourniquets. Yeah. All right. So here's the thing. Everything I've read says that tourniquets can be harmful to the tissues that, that you know, they're essentially preventing blood flow from like getting to and that there can be complications like with its placement. But those usually happen after about like two hours time. Yeah. Um, so hey, the Spence, other piece, yo. you seemed really explicit about the way you said flow, like you took your time on that word. It's almost as though I edited you edited you out fucking up the word flow several times at this point. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny uh, the, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. Which uh, is actually funny because, um, I don't know, maybe I kept the audio clip. Maybe I can confirm that it happened or maybe I can't, maybe I can deny it was safety anyway. Yeah. But let your conscience be your guide, Chris. No, that's not good for you, man. That's not a good thing. <laughs> uh, uh, you're not helping that, yourself. That's, <laughs> that's my partner, the sociopath people. All right. <laughs> So what do you mean Hercules, my partner, Hercules, demigod of paramedicine. Oh, wait, you know, a yes. sociopath makes sense now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of not helping yourself, right. um, other things you shouldn't do uh, that also don't help. Don't periodically loosen the tourniquet uh, to prevent those problems, like the problems of like, oh, God, I don't want them to be injured from the you know lack of circulation. Uh, yeah, don't don't loosen it periodically to allow like limb reperfusion. Uh, it doesn't actually make a difference in in that um and also it really just leads to more bleeding so um here's here's another good tip uh if you can remember and you should mark the time that you place the tourniquet and make sure you keep that tourniquet in a visible area like 
you know, make sure that it's really easy to see that there's a tourniquet on a limb. You really don't want the phone call from the like the pissed off ER doctor who didn't know that their patient had a tourniquet. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah, No, you don't. And it's you know what? You think you wouldn't remember like to give that a long report, but uh, you'd be surprised what you could forget to tell people. So, oh, yeah. Make it make your life easy by making it very visible. Um, here's some tricky things that we are often not taught about them. Um, I don't recall ever learning this in you know either my paramedic school or you know EMT course. Uh, yeah, tourniquets fucking hurt. They hurt yeah. a lot. People don't like them, and we touched on that before. But again, I'm going to bring it up here. And it's important to let people know that. Here's another thing that we need to be like really cognizant of, like patient movements or tourniquets over clothing can help loosen that tourniquet over time. And by the way, that's something that it already might do. It already might just sort of like slowly loosen up. Um, So when you place one, you actually do have to frequently check to make sure they haven't loosened. And looking at the call here, it's very possible that like, Hey, Adam checked a pedal pulse and like, you know, accurately reported that they didn't have one, but then like nobody rechecked again in the ambulance trip there um, after the second one got placed and confirmed not to have the um, uh, confirmed not to have the pulse. So it's very possible that like it just loosened to the over that transport time to the point where, you know, when the doctor felt it, there was a pulse again. So, yeah, um, that, you know, a, a very real possibility here. Let's talk about varicose veins themselves, though, because um, clearly I'm the expert on them because I nailed that right at the beginning. You um, did. Sorry. After last I, week's loss, which is what I'm calling that, because I, I did end up last week's being like, I don't know what the fuck's going on at the end of it. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, I, it's it's dumped me. But, uh, yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like I've made my comeback here. Uh, so. Yeah, so let's talk about varicose veins a little bit. Let's talk about what they are and kind of why they form. But before we get into that, it's probably pretty important that we do a super quick refresher on normal vein uh, physiology. So blood gets pumped in boluses out of the heart into the arterial system and eventually makes its way to the capillaries of the body. And that's where a lot of the exchange happens in terms of like oxygen exchange into tissues. Uh, Then it drains from there into the capillary venous system, into the superficial veins, which then deposit into the deep veins, which return it to the heart. Now, arteries have musculature and can contract and expand. Uh, but veins don't have that feature to move blood around. I mean, they, well, they, they can expand uh, to hold more blood, which might be important to this topic. Uh, but veins are low, low pressure systems. So you might be wondering, uh, how does blood actually get back up to the heart then from places like your legs if there isn't a lot of pressure pushing that blood back up? So deep veins rely on the surrounding skeletal muscle to increase that pressure and then move blood along back to the heart and through the superficial veins themselves. Uh, veins have one-way valves, which acts sort of like a, like a fish ladder, uh, a fucking Oregonian. I know. Um, but, <laughs> I'm uh, surprised you didn't say salmon ladder, right? <laughs> salmon bisque ladder. Uh, but anyway, uh, so uh, blood, mo- blood moves, uh, up that vein and then the valves close behind it, right? So you're going to have blood that's going to push up through a leg vein. It's going to go past the valve. And then because of the way the valve is shaped, when the blood naturally wants to go back down because of gravity, the valve won't open. It won't let it. So the blood won't go backwards. Then with the next low pressure blood bolus that comes in behind that, it all advances up again and it will eventually make its way back to the heart where it can repeat this little roller coaster ride. 
Yeah, you know what? Actually, fuck the fish ladder analogy, dude. It, all <laughs> veins are the lines for a roller coaster ride. Oh like, God. It, it, yeah. Oh, you're that just, makes perfect you're waiting, sense. And then like people hop in and they're like, Ooh, and they go down the arterial ride, and, and then the oh, next God. one's like, all right, they're stepping forward. And the valves are like the little gates in the lines yeah. that you're going through it, as you're passing through. Oh goodness. Yeah, exactly. No, that that's is perfect. I, yeah, no, your fish Damn. ladder sucks. Roller coaster is better. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> to be fair, though, I also came up with roller coasters, so... They should have called you Achilles. Because uh, they have one uh, weakness. Boy, that, yeah, that's your heel. Right apparently... Well, yeah, but I also came up with roller coaster ride. You just expanded off what I said. They should call you the vulture. All right, I'll take that. That's fair. <laughs> You're taking it at the end after I've done all the work. All right, so... Now that Spencer's done chewing on that carcass of a joke... Uh, so, varicose <laughs> veins... <laughs> So varicose veins themselves. So these are essentially just like dilated superficial veins. Uh, it's often due to a problem actually in the deeper veins, which will cause blood to back up and engorge those superficial veins. Uh, and what causes this? Well, there's there's like a few things. So first is like valve incompetence. Uh, the valves don't close all the way, uh, which is going to allow blood to leak backwards. And uh, this, by the way, uh, sounds like it becomes like a series of dominoes. So one fails, which then adds more pressure to the previous one, which causes that one to fail, adding more pressure to the next, etc., etc. Uh, the other thing is deep vein thrombrosis. Uh, this is a blockage or partial blockage uh, in the vein itself, uh, which causes blood to back up and can then cause the varicose veins as well. Uh, there's an AV malformation uh, in which higher pressure the higher pressure arterial arterial system mixes up with the low venous system, the low pressure venous system. Uh, pregnancy. The hormones can actually cause changes, making vein walls easier to balloon out. Uh, trauma can cause it. Advanced age, genetics, like getting old sucks. And more, like I mentioned, like a sedentary lifestyle where you're not moving a lot. Um, because remember, the skeletal muscles help the deep veins move blood. So if you're not moving skeletal muscles, it can cause pooling. So uh, these forms, uh, so these form superficially uh, and they usually again, like on the calves. Uh, again, the deep veins are surrounded by muscle fascia, which not only produce structural support to the veins, but also actually help pump blood back to the heart with muscle contractions. But those superficial veins that are just under the layer of fat, yeah, no such structural support. So those veins are going to balloon out uh, to store all the blood uh, that it's getting. So normally the problems with these veins are irritating or just like cosmetically problematic. The underlying problems which have caused this condition is the thing that actually needs investigating. For instance, uh, Medscape says there is a five times higher rate of DVTs in patients with this condition. And DVT is a possible complication uh, as well. But there are other things, uh, venous ulcerations and, of course, bleeding. Yeah. So let's talk about bleeding. Uh because I think that's, yeah, that's a perfect explanation for, like, how these form. Mm -hmm. uh, you, Chris, you did a good job. Thanks, uh, buddy. Yeah, so here's the good news. Like, cases like this one, they're, they're incredibly rare. I, In fact, I couldn't find a statistic, like, on this, on how often, like, oh, God, how often do we need a tourniquet varicose veins? What I do know is that Medscape says there's about, like, 23% of the adults in the U.S. Uh, who have varicose veins. Um, and that bleeding associated with that could be a problem but i can't find out like i can't find how often like this type of call happens um yeah but again the good news here is that basically like all the same treatments you do for a patient bleeding from an extremity they still apply you know you put pressure on the wound advanced pressure dressings and if that like and if it keeps bleeding then like tourniquet it um 
But let's talk about the tourniquet for a moment. Yeah, because I've got a question for you on this, Spence. And, and maybe maybe you found this in your in your research. So um, I've been on, on badly bleeding varicose veins, but I've never had one so uncontrolled that I've had to use a tourniquet. My thought would actually be put the tourniquet like, you know, for an arterial bleed, you place it proximal. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's the direction of the blood flow. Well, in a vein, the blood's coming back up. Would placing it distally be the answer? Ooh, now here's where here's where sort of like things get weird because i can't find any like really authoritative medical source outside of uh you know just like doctors doing case reviews uh saying like hey this is what we did we applied a tourniquet uh you know uh, above or below but that actually is like one of the one of the suggested treatments for this is like hey if this is bleeding so badly and you know at with the additional complications of like, hey, this patient takes blood thinners and this bleed, right. you know it's not controlled by other means, it might be worthwhile if you're you know certain that this is a varicose vein to go distal to the injury or to the bleeding site and clamp that down, stopping that blood from getting to that vein to that injury. Um, if you you but. Honestly, like you can still do uh, above and the stand like this, the standard practice of like, hey, putting it, you know, above the injury or high on the leg. Um, those are still like acceptable things. The only downside is like because it's a venous injury, like if you cinch down the you know leg up high on the, you know, uh, you know really proximal to, you know, like the hip or the pelvis, like you still have all the blood in that leg that yeah. still could pour out. And if the patient's like bleeding, like if you're not able to like really tamponade that down and like tighten it down to where it really stops that blood flow, like they might just continue to bleed. Um, so one of the recommendations that I saw is that um, you can do one above the injury and then also add the second one below so that you still get the two tourniquets. There's still, which adds, has that, you know, synergistic effect of really helping to stop the blood from getting, you know, past those arteries, uh, into the venous system. Um, and then also that prevents blood from like leaking out from the venous system out through the wound. So that is something that uh, several doctors have recommended. And I watched a pretty cool case review on YouTube about this. I, I, I'm going to try and remember to link it because it's, it's actually a really fascinating one. Um, but, you know, that uh, that uh, strategy, along with like pressure dressings, um, sounds like it it was it's. Uh, really effective in managing this problem. But, you know, here's the thing. I'm not a medical director. I'm not a medical doctor. So you should talk to your medical doctor uh, or your medical director and ask like, hey, what do you think about this strategy in these situations? Again, these are super rare. So they might be like, eh, just, you know, go with what you know, because it should <laughs> still work. And that's true. Like Shrug. it should still work. But, you know, it's something to keep in the back of your mind when you if you ever encounter this, I've only encountered one and the bleeding was easily controlled with bandaging. Um, but it did spray. And that also alarmed me. So I, I definitely feel the like, whoa, what the fuck yeah. is going on with this? Because I too was surprised by the spraying blood from the leg that didn't seem like an artery. But anyway, um, look, uh, as I said, like, if you guys are interested in learning more, there's that really cool case review um, and you get to see like the spray of blood and you hear like the doctor talk about what they're going to do and like the patients responding to them and talking to them. I'm not sure like how they got that up on YouTube, but it's a really cool case. So nice. Yeah. Hopefully with permission. Well, 
Yeah. So with those things taken care of, let's dive into the call and there's a couple. Yeah. Like let's go into it. Yeah. So in, in systems like this, there's kind of an issue that I think was a little bit brought to bear on this. And I don't want to overtly harp on this because I, I mentioned it earlier, but this is kind of one of the downsides to lower volume systems. Like you had mentioned earlier that like the crew had experienced three in one day and at one point heard about five in one day. Uh, but there's a problem that's kind of associated with not running a high volume of calls, uh, especially if you're newer in the field is that you don't necessarily get the experience that you need and skills can degrade over time. Even with robust training programs, if it's not practicing on real patients, there's usually something that that gets missed. And like in, in today's call, it's a great example of it. And that is like, hey, you're going to put the tourniquet on. They're going to scream at you the entire way. And it clearly yeah. caught, you know, Adam in this case off guard because they ended up <laughs> swearing back at their patient. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so there is a there is definitely. And then, of course, you know, like the pedal pulse. Uh, issue mm-hmm. in terms of not being able to find a pedal pulse, which is admittedly that, that, that's a more difficult pulse to find. It's not like a radial yeah. or a carotid or femoral, um, but having that skill uh, is pretty essential. So when you're in a system where you don't run a lot of calls, uh, having a robust training department that is really good is absolutely essential. And if you can, if, if possible, if possible, the best trainer, the best way to train is going to be to somehow get patient contact. So maybe reach out to other local agencies that either have more call volume and do ride alongs. Cause I know that I've worked with a ground agency that has provided that for some of the uh, slower volunteer agencies near them. Oh yeah. Yep. Uh, and, or the other option, if, if you live in a large area that, that's slow, where it's like, Hey, do you want to travel 13 cities over to actually get some call volume? And they're like, no, funny. I don't. Um, a local hospital may be willing to let uh, EMTs and uh, and paramedics uh, basically do rotations uh, in their emergency room uh, to hone skills. I know that yeah. I've worked for agencies where if you don't get enough intubations in a year, you will go do a rotation at the OR to get intubations. And uh, the same can be done for things like checking lung sounds, checking fetal pulses uh, and, and whatnot and getting actual patient contact hours and also there's something to get there's something to say about patient contact about just learning how people work when they're not feeling well that is just kind of an invaluable thing that uh once you get used to that it really allows you to assess uh, a lot better and it's kind of one of those things where it's like it's not that you necessarily change your assessment from what nremt is uh but you're able to focus on it better because these things don't catch you off guard and they don't throw you for a loop when someone screams at you or those kind of things because you're anticipating it and allows it it allows you to keep focused on what needs to be done because you're no longer thrown off you got that experience yeah i there's definitely i think there's in like incredible truth to the like hey like you put a, if you put a tourniquet on one person one time then you've essentially put a tourniquet uh, uh, on one person one time and exactly. you're only get, like and people exactly. have a myriad of responses to that oh, so yeah. like the more times you get to to you know do an intervention and see how that intervention kind of plays out the more you like become comfortable with like some of the things like that might be like a 
that might fall out from that intervention that you did. Um, and then you can anticipate those things. And that's really like, that's what builds that confidence. Um, and that like competence in this is, um, is getting that experience and seeing how different patients respond, you know, under different circumstances. Um, so here's, here's what happens with the station. Cause I did ask, I was curious, like, Hey, when, like, when's the last time you did this or talked about like tourniquets and they, they were like, uh, in EMT school, uh, which, you know, is six months ago. So this should still be fresh, yeah, but, you know, but you know, like, Hey, there's a lot of things that you learn in school. I don't know how much of that, like people retain. There's, there's some statistic out there. I'm sure that's like, you're only going to remember like 80% or 50% or, you know, of what you've learned in class and you're going to have to relearn it all out on the field. Um, I'm making those statistics up cause I have no idea, but like there is that like, those things do leave your brain if you don't use them. Um, so they do like EMS topics like once a month at their station. Um, and Adam did say like the next one we covered was tourniquets. Uh, <laughs> 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 I was like, yeah, that's a good Strange. call. Yeah, weird. Um, but, you know, uh, once a month, you know, an evening once a month to review like EMS calls is, yeah, maybe, I, I mean, yeah, that's, that might be part of the problem here in this low volume system. So I like your solutions. Um, and you know, hopefully they're, that's something that like their station could set up. Right. Um, so how do you feel about the assessment? So here's the thing that kind of like, there's a couple things that kind of bug me and I'm, I'm betting you'll pick up on some of the same things. Like, yeah. So I, I noticed that they got in there and they hear the report of like, Hey, I've got a wound that's spraying blood. And then they're like, okay, cool. Like, what's your HPI? Can I get your full sample history? Um, oh, let's get some vitals before anyone looked at the, like the leg that was essentially, you know, reported to be spraying blood. Yeah. Um, I, to me that like, if the patient is reporting that they're spraying blood, that, that kind of, I, I move into that kind of trauma assessment where I'm like, exsanguination, airway breathing circulation and exsanguination right. means like, Hey, I got to see how, like, I got to fucking figure out if this person's bleeding to death. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't want to get halfway through my sample and be like, what other medications do you take, ma'am? Right. Ma'am. So. <laughs> God damn it. I don't, know, we don't know what to give her. We didn't even get to allergies. So. Yeah. Well, she's clearly refusing. Let's leave. Um, no, I think. Uh, I think. Put a peanut uh, butter spider sandwich in her mouth and let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, uh, no, I mean, on, on one hand, like I, I'm glad that they went after the sample history and I can definitely see like, Hey, we don't need to freak out. Um, but I think there's also like a part of like the crew probably walked in. She's like, yeah, I was spurting blood. And initially like all they saw was like a red soaked rat and a rag and a pool of blood on the floor. And, you know, and that kind of lets people's guards down, but it kind of comes down to this is like, there, there's a lot of things that happen in, in this industry where you will have a patient will say one thing and then you do an objective assessment and, and their interpretation is just wrong. You know, yeah, like, Oh, true. I'm dying. And it's like, uh, you're, you're not. And so the problem is, is that that's kind of a four year medic ish uh, that can lead you to the four year medic problem. We talk about where something happens over and over again and you accept that as fact always. And then you get screwed. And this is kind of that case, you know, and I don't know if this is exactly what was going through uh, Adam and the good doctor's heads, but um when you get in there and someone says, ah, it's spurting blood. And you look at their leg and you're like, well, it's, it's, it's not, 
you know, you kind of tend by to like spurting. You mean like trickling? Then, yeah, 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 exactly. And it kind of throws you off and it kind of stops the investigation. And here's where it's kind of one of those things where it's like, look, I get it. 80% of the time you'd have been totally correct and being like, yeah, it's not spurting, man. I don't know what you think spurting is, but that ain't spurting. Um, <laughs> You know, 80% of the time, that's going to be correct. But here's why. Just don't trust that 80% of the time and trust your patients a bit more. So if they say, hey, it was spurting blood, uh, investigate that more and kind of get on that. Be like, all right, it's not spurting blood now, but like, was it? Is it now? Uh, and I did like eventually they did ask, like, hey, is it still bleeding? Um, although they asked, I believe they asked that after. Did they ask that after they saw like the bloody yeah, murder so they, Yeah, that, they went and asked that question after they okay. went and saw like the the murder scene in the bathroom where you it looked like the patient to. had called through barbed wire to get out just to really reinforce my theme uh, yeah exactly <laughs> by the way i don't think either spencer or i have mentioned what the theme is if you know what the theme is go ahead and comment it, it's a good one i do like it um yeah. but uh yeah i just exactly and so it, it's 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 one of those things that like i mean once they once they saw the bloody murder scene like you don't need them to take the rag off because best case, like you might end up blowing out whatever shitty clot their uh, blood thin, their thinned blood is trying to form. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, you know, it, it's it's fine. Although you probably will eventually have to take the rag off to replace it with an actual bandage because you don't want to be like, oh, yeah. dirty rag, open wound. Let's go for it. This bacteria <laughs> this... hasn't gotten there yet. I want to make sure it gets a chance. Um, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, let's warm it up. Anyone got a hairdryer? We can just, you know, get this nice, warm, moist. Um, anyway, yeah, so on it first. Yeah. Uh, but that's just kind of. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but uh anyway but, th- but that that's kind of my point on this is like uh yeah like i i understand but you know if the patient had a genuine perception of sp- of spurting investigate that quickly and make sure without a doubt that that isn't true before you just kind of assume it's not so yeah anyway yeah yeah and, and this, spurting and th- or spraying yeah. like uh, interchangeable yeah. yeah if I mean, blood is shooting out of their body <laughs> yeah, because that, 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 that's not a good thing. I mean, but now given, I will say that this, even an experienced crew may have fallen in this trap. My, I could see myself having the same mindset of them being like, I know you said spurting, but it's not like I can yeah. see myself being there, which is why I'm kind of sympathetic to, uh, yeah, sure. to their assessment yeah. woes. But uh, but, you know, I've learned from that and they should do. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, taking our analogy, the roller coaster analogy, even further here. Imagine the red cells that are on that fucking ride. They're like, yeah. all right, and then suddenly they're just launched out. Oh my god! <laughs> the, like, what the fuck kind of roller coaster is this? We're not even on the track like, anymore. I have like an Osmosis Jones style uh, image in my head right now, where where the newscast inside the body is like in, in a terrible roller coaster derailment. <laughs> Jim, I am here outside the body on this floor where tragedy has struck. Right, exactly. You just be sitting there like a. And oddly enough, it actually did not happen on the downhill side of the roller coaster. This was actually on the voyage up where families should be safe. More later tonight on why they weren't. Jim, back to you. You know, it's just kind yeah. of like that's. And up next, is your salad trying to kill you? <laughs> there we go. Um. Speaking of, you know, t- trying to kill uh, or in this case, like trying to save the patient, I, I actually, aside from like they could have moved quicker to tourniquet, I really did like their approach. Um, you know, they, hey, we're going to try pressure. We're going to try bandaging it. Um, and then they like quickly moved to the tourniquet or you know, mostly quickly moved yeah. to the tourniquet placement. Um, and that was kind of that was a good order of operations. It could have happened faster. But, you know, here 
Uh, speaking of tourniquets, I think this was a good use of the tourniquet, um, in my opinion, from all the details we have. But they crucially, and this is the piece where I'm like, oh, God, I wish they'd gotten, like, you got to check for the, like, assess the pedal pulse to make sure it worked. Right. And, you really do. And you should. Uh, granted, like, they might not have, like... It's, it sounds like Adam really wasn't anticipating this being as painful as it was, but like, you should really tell your patient, like, Hey, this is going to hurt. Um, yeah. before you actually start hurting them, because it's, it's easier to front load that. It's harder to kind of like catch that on the rebound and still have that go well. Oh, oh hey, by the way, this thing that is hurting you, eh, it's going to hurt you. Yeah. People yeah. people don't like that. It's weird. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know what the problem is, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I think a, a couple other pieces, um, I, I, I totally agree with their decision to transport to intercept versus waiting, especially yeah, like, with the patient's that. history, with the blood thinners and, and the continued bleeding. That was, and the pain that was a, they were in too. I mean, yeah. just, just a soft value there, man. I know there's, there's a lot of medics out there that are of the opinion that, well, pain isn't life threatening. It's like, well, fuck off. It's quality yeah. of life. Like, yeah, just, uh, yeah. it can be traumatizing. So let's, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, completely agree. Um, I will say, like, once you're in the ambulance, uh, if the, they note, like, that's when the patient's O2 sat was loaded and, like, noted to be lower yeah. um, and the patient's respiratory rate was higher. And I'm imagining, like, it, part of that might be, like, because, you know, yeah, she's actually losing some blood. But the other part of that, given that, like, it improved after with, like, pain medication administration, it just that just might be, like, anxiety and, like, you know, that, that sort of pain stimulus and making her... Um, agitate or irritating that uh, the underlying mm -hmm. like respiratory issues that she's having. Yeah, I mean, um, but also like I mean, her oxygen saturations did legitimately like get low, but that could also yeah. then contribute to irritability, which she certainly was. Yeah, and so I, I think in this case, like in fact, like even if the, she was like ninety four percent, like if you think there's a significant bleed going on, you should probably give your patient oxygen so that like the red cells that are still in their body still have like have that oxygen carrying capacity. Um, you know what I mean? To, to, to get yeah. that oxygen to the tissues that it needs to get to. So I think that would have been, that, that should have happened. That was, it's a, you know, it, kind of a minor miss in this case, but like, uh, still would have been a good thing to do. Still a miss. Um, I, I also will say, and I don't know how you feel about this, Chris, like, I don't like the fact that they had to walk the patient with the tourniquet on her leg um, to right. the place. But like, I, I will say, like, I wasn't there. I don't know what other options like would have been possible. I asked about like, hey, was there like a tarp or something? And it's like, well, it's a big patient. And there's a ton of shit like that. We had to like move just, around to yeah, get her out. And there's, so, there's three of them there. I mean, yeah, still um, uh, it, it, it's it's tough. It, it's a tough call. Like you said, like we weren't there. Um, but it does cringe to think of that lady who hates this turning big. Right, can you walk? I mean, at least they, they didn't make her drive. That was nice. <laughs> yeah. <You know. laughs> All right. Well, uh, I mean, the Bonus tourniquet. Uh, yeah. You can use your left foot to hit the gas, right? <laughs> right. You've got two feet for crying out loud. I, I think the only other comment that I would make on the transport piece was um, I, it doesn't sound like young looked at the like paramedic young looked at the wound personally um i that and you know granted like they're like hey it's still bleeding and she's like all right put more pressure on it but 
I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Like if you have somebody, an EMT who's, you know, handing off reports saying like, hey, I've got this, you know, wound that's an arterial bleed. It's spraying. They're holding pressure on it. They got the tourniquet on the leg. Um, Do you want to look at the wound? Do you Uh, just go like, ah, put more on it. Fuck. Let's go. Um, So so how are you? This is a tough one here, Um, especially with this particular scenario where assessing the wound may have led to be like, oh, hey, look, I can actually see because varicose veins are very visible. They're not really hidden under the surface. And so it it might have changed it in this one super rare case. Generally speaking for me, though, like once bleeding is controlled, I don't like to touch it. Like if I have an EMT telling me like, hey, we there was a fuck ton of blood back at this house um we now got this applied i'm like you know bleeding can be hard to control and i think there's kind of an assumption sometimes like okay well we controlled it with you know a a tourniquet and two trauma pads so if i remove the trauma pads to see if it's still bleeding and oh it's bleeding all i have to do is put it back and it'll be controlled again that doesn't always work out that way Uh, as a supervisor like i had to actually review a call once where this occurred, where one of uh, the paramedics for the agency I was working for responded on scene with another agency and they really wanted to see the wound from themselves. So they unpacked it and looked sure shit still bleeding. And then they fought to control the bleeding for the rest of the ride. So Mm. for me, now that come now that, that colors my own subjective experience. But for me, it's like, no, if if the bleeding is controlled, um, I, I don't have any desire to let it bleed again. And so if I were to wind up, because here's the thing, like it's going to have to happen at the ER. They are going to have to take it off. I totally understand that. That's going to have to happen. But you know what they have at that hospital? That's, that's, that's readily available. If they can't get controlled, they have more blood to add. Yeah, that's I didn't true. in my ground agency. There's more options at the ER uh, than what I have available. And the benefit for me for seeing the wound is kind of minimal. You know, yeah. I mean, aside from being able to accurately chart what it looks like, I guess, but that doesn't benefit the patient. Mm. And so for me, it kind of boils down to it's like, what am I gaining from from looking at this if the bleeding is already controlled? Yeah, well, I guess here's the question for you, because they added I mean, she didn't look at this when while they were putting on a second tourniquet. She essentially had, you know, um, Adam continue to hold that pressure and then they applied the second tourniquet and then they checked for a pedal pulse to see that, you Mm -hmm. know, there wasn't one and they didn't look to see if like the bleeding had stopped. Now, it it might be that, you know, like in you know most cases, like the bleeding would stop Mm -hmm. pretty quickly. Um, I don't know if it would stop as quickly in this case, given that there's still all that pressure in that venous system and more so now, because now it really can't go up. Now it's really, you know, being forced back down and out that, you know, engorged uh, spot or the gorge vein. But um, there might be something to like make it, you know, like assessing that to uh, on top of the checking for the pedal pulse to see that the second tourniquet you've applied is beneficial. But you know, who knows like that? I, I agree with the other thing. It's like, I, I don't have anything else. Well, uh, I mean, there's nothing more I can add to this except for additional bandaging. And I don't want to, you know, shoot myself in the foot by looking and then, you know, undoing the good work that Adam and you know, the other guy, like that has already been done. So uh, yeah, I guess I've got these like kind of two competing values in my head on this. I mean, checking um, a pedal pulse is one thing. And I, I mean, obviously you'd want to keep checking the pedal pulse. There's no reason yeah. you would avoid that because there's, there's no downside to that. And it just helps you know that the tourniquets work. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I just, I mean, for me, man, I just, I just don't see what the only thing that about this call that I wasn't terribly fan of is I'm kind of curious 
about because it sounded like there was a lot of blood like on the gurney and like underneath the patient when they got the patient off and so i'm just kind of curious like were they keeping eyes on the wound very well you know because you should be able to see that amount of blood coming out from somewhere you know yeah yeah it it sounds like they just kept adding like more bandaging to it and adam just kept kind of holding it they didn't add much beyond the second tourniquet i don't believe but yeah. yeah that's a that's a really good question um and like and, where was this blood going to and how come like nobody noticed yeah. more of it and so for this patient like i mean so let's say they did recognize like if they recognized that it was continuing to bleed like through the bandages like i, I don't know what taking the bandages off is gonna yeah no that's a good point yeah, that's I, a I good point don't, I, don't, I don't see the value i guess i just don't see the value in, in looking at the yeah. wound I, yeah no that's a uh, you know what i uh I, you've convinced me there. I don't think I would, uh, I would want to check either. All right. In this now, situation. Now, now I'm, now I'm, now I'm updating. I, I was demigod earlier. Now that I've convinced you and changed your mind, I, th- I think pretty much, uh, Zeus, Zeus, go take a vacation. I got this covered. <laughs> Chris Zeuston. <laughs> yeah. Chris Zeuston. Oh, right. oh goodness. Uh, well shit, man. With that, um, anything else to add? I don't think so. So yeah, varicose veins, uh, they can be a bloody mess, but usually they're irritating and just kind of superficial cosmetic things. Uh, uh, tourniquets, uh, you know, we're moving to them pretty quick. Uh, you know, still try and like, you know, apply direct pressure, pressure bandages. And then if that doesn't work, do tourniquets, do two tourniquets. If the first one doesn't work, uh, and a good portion of the time, one doesn't cut it, especially in larger patients. Uh, you know, two hour time window, they hurt like hell. Let your patients know, check, reassess constantly pedal pulses, um, to make sure like they haven't, like the tourniquet hasn't loosened or shifted. Uh, cause it turns out ER doctors hate that when you like drop off a patient with a tourniquet and they're like, I feel a pulse. <laughs> uh, they're like, yeah, well, they, we just moved the patient over t- from our stretcher to this bed. And the last yeah. I checked, there wasn't one. So meh, sounds like your fault, doctor. Not mad. Yep. Not mad right. at all. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, boom. All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks for listening to uh, yet another episode. Uh, If you want to support the show, leave a review on iTunes or really wherever you can leave a review, Facebook included. Uh, And uh, also a really good way to support the show is to uh, buy our merch. If you go to our T Public store, uh, which we have links uh, on Facebook and we have links in our Instagram description as well, that'll get you over there. You can buy EMS 2020 merchandise, shirts, mugs, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, Also, GuardianCME.com. We've mentioned this before. This is uh, going to be an amazing free continuing education platform where you can get free credit hours just for listening to EMS 2020. Uh, head on over to guardiancme.com, drop your email address so you'll be notified the moment Guardian CME goes live, uh, which with everything going on in the background, uh, it's gearing up. We're hoping it'll happen uh, soon. I don't have a hard date for you guys yet, but um, get excited. So with that, follow us on social media. This episode will have its own post, just like every episode. We are on Facebook at EMS 20 slash 20. We are on Instagram at EMS 2020 show. And if you want your call to be featured on EMS 2020, send us an email at EMS 2020 show. Uh, I'm sorry. Send us an email at EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. And with that, Spencer, take us out awkwardly. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you a really awkward story. Uh, so I will remember I was I, like watched saw the original saw uh, on a date at one point. And oh then I goodness. went to a uh, like the next day. uh over at my date's house, 
they were having a very large party with a large uh, group of people and they were you know watching we essentially were watching this movie again and there's some guy at this party who just loudly announces that every scene they're like oh man this was such a crucial scene dude this is crucial and i remember oh, like watching the parts of this scene going like i just saw this movie this actually doesn't have much like this really doesn't this is not a significant part of the movie and then at some point uh, I realized it's like, oh my God, that's, this is just like his word right now. He's just using crucial for everything. Like, oh, this is just sickly crucial, dude. Like, man. And I fucking hated the movie. Like I, he ruined oh, the movie for me because he no. just kept saying it. Like I, I was like sitting there seething. <laughs> like, Maybe he doesn't oh know God. what the word means. Like did he, he try like, he just, he was like, dude, it's a, this is a sick sounding word. Like I love yeah. it. It's awesome. It's crucial. Like someone gave him a beer. He's like, dude, this beer tastes crucial. Like, yeah. it's like, Do you know? <laughs> dude that was it that was it and i i was like i it ruined the movie and uh all this all the following movies i just i couldn't fucking get over it i, hated I saw it. saw one and two and stopped and then i think they made 13 more <laughs> yeah, it. it's, it's the land before time of like murder movies you know what's awkward <laughs> about this awkward like, ending is that it's really not awkward it's just a story which makes it awkward to be in the place of the awkward ending Oh, that is true. And then um, me saying that makes I, it kind of awkward because it almost seems no. right. You know what? Guys, oh, thank you yeah. for listening. We'll see you next <laughs> week. Bye. <laughs>